Hello. Welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Marina Cherniak, Emerging Market Economist. Welcome, Marina. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. If we think about the emerging market landscape, first thing perhaps is to recognize it's it's been a challenging year, not only, of course, because of the pandemic uh, with rising or expectations of rising rates in the U.S. You've seen weakness in emerging market currencies. Uh, of course, we're all aware of the impact of production bottlenecks on emerging markets trade in general. Uh, perhaps so. Uh, first thing that's on people's minds is the pandemic uh, and having a sense that in emerging markets in particular, the vaccination rates have lagged what you see in the West and concerns consequently about hospitalization rates and so on. Perhaps then you can update us on how things have evolved and how concerned or optimistic are you about the near-term outlook? Sure. So it is true that um, uh, the emerging markets have been lagging uh, the developed markets in terms of um, the vaccination coverage. And of course, that has to do with issues like access to vaccines, uh, equitable distribution, and so on. Uh, but nevertheless, over the past uh, a month and a half, I would say there has been a significant uh, progress in many places, not all, but uh, certainly some places have seen enough progress in order to start considering a shift away from, um, for example, targeting zero COVID policy uh, towards uh, uh, learning to live with the pandemic. So, for example, one such place is South Korea um, that uh, during the summer has been um, struggling with a, a spike of uh, COVID and has been still trying to contain it through kind of the zero strategy that has it has been pursuing since, since the start of pandemic. But uh, since then, we are seeing now over 75% of the population now being completely vaccinated with two doses, uh, which is uh, around the same uh, vaccination coverage levels as we have seen in um, more or less in Chile and slightly less than, say, Singapore. But still, this is kind of on the higher end of where the emerging markets overall are. And so this should, in theory, allow South Korea to continue making progress in terms of the domestic demand uh, and consumer spending recovery. Um, they have done not so bad overall, but that, of course, thanks to the strong exports. Um, but um, in order for the recovery to shift gears into higher gear, uh, that's going to certainly happen thanks to the higher vaccination coverage. And then on the other, on the flip side of of, uh, of this, we have places like um, India, Indonesia and the Philippines where vaccination coverage still remains fairly low. So for example, India stands somewhere around 25% of population being completely vaccinated at this stage and the Philippines and Indonesia somewhere around 30%. But then keep in mind, all these places have a, a huge populations um, and uh, they have uh, quite dispersed geographies to cover, especially in cases of the Philippines and Indonesia, where it's uh, lots of islands. Um, so I would say that on the whole, there has been decent progress in terms of trying to fully vaccinate population in many emerging markets. Uh, uh, however, clearly there are some pockets, especially in Southeast Asia, where economies remain uh, vulnerable in case there is another variant or uh, kind of another spike in, in the pandemic. So would you like to address some of the other supply chain bottlenecks? Of course, semiconductors are a big part of it, but uh, I think there are a lot of other things where we worry about things being stuck in ports and 
not getting shipped. Yes. So that's the kind of uh, the bottlenecks that are um, tied to the fact that we're seeing in general global shortage of container ships. And then uh, we have specific to the U.S., I would say, uh, bottlenecks in ports, specifically in the ports of uh, LA and Long Beach, where it looks like the whole uh, kind of logistics around moving uh, goods uh, out of the cargo ships and onto the trucks and onto the warehouses and then to the shops in the US. Uh, it looks like there are some major problems around these logistics and they're driven by um, you know, specific issues to the US, I would say. So maybe the poor state of the U.S. Uh, port infrastructure, the relatively large unionization of, uh, uh, of this industry, the shortage of chassis. So there are all sorts of issues that are kind of making it difficult to speed up the turnover of the um, container ships that are already waiting in the ports uh, in, on the west coast of the U.S. to kind of unload the goods for the U.S. consumers. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to mention. I wanted to come back to the semiconductors that are related to car production. So the way we're seeing it in Europe is obviously through the Eastern European emerging market economies that are um, plugged into the uh, car production here in Europe. So in other words, this is not only a problem for Germany, which is a major uh, car manufacturer here in Europe, but also for those who supply parts or are dependent on uh, uh, car parts to produce cars such as places like uh, Czech Republic, uh, Hungary, um, and to some degree Poland. So in that sense, we are seeing that in uh, surveys of businesses in these countries, the number one factor that, that manufacturers complain about is uh, the lack of equipment. And I take it to mean as a lack of the uh, semiconductor chips that specifically go into the car production. So I think one interesting thing, at least that I've learned, is that when we think about these bottlenecks, we maybe put too much of the blame on emerging markets and recognize that a lot of it perhaps is a, a bit of a domestic, if you will, uh, issue that needs to be addressed. And I guess that infrastructure package that was passed in the U.S. isn't going to rescue us probably quickly enough. Well, we appreciate, I think, the impact of these bottlenecks on inflation, of course, with the recent uh, U.S. CPI print. But emerging markets have their own challenges when it comes to inflation. Uh, could you talk about the dynamics there? Because I have a sense that maybe it's a bit different than what we're seeing in developed markets. Is that true? What are the drivers? And then particularly, how are central banks dealing with this? Sure. So certainly one thing that we continue seeing was over the past month is uh, that many emerging central banks uh, are surprising the market in terms of um, how much tightening they're delivering compared to expectations. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we had a Polish and a Czech central bank delivering more tightening that, uh, than was expected. And the week before, we had central banks of Russia, Chile, and Colombia also surprising the market in terms of how much tightening um, they announced. So this is happening uh, in bigger steps and sooner compared to what the economists have been uh, expecting and even uh, compared to what the market have been pricing in, even though the front-end rates uh, in many of these emerging markets have been moving already uh, uh, aggressively higher since September. Now, this relatively aggressive tightening is driven by, um, I would say, central banks, mostly in Latin America and uh, Europe, and much less so in emerging Asia. 
so for example, if you think about uh, the surprises that we have seen in October, they are coming from Brazil, Colombia, Chile, Peru, uh, Czech Republic, Poland, and Russia. So there is not a single uh, Asian uh, central bank uh, in there. Um, looking at the next couple of months, I think we can expect more uh, of the same, really, with policy tightening coming roughly from the same emerging markets that uh, have been hiking so far. Uh, although, of course, we had the Romanian central bank uh, reluctantly joining the hiking cycle uh, earlier this week. So all in, we expect uh, more than 10 uh, emerging market central banks uh, continue hiking policy rates until year end. And I'm saying at least because uh, the risk is that we actually see more uh, central banks uh, joining in the hiking club. For example, we could see uh, India and the Philippines in emerging Asia, uh, as well as South Africa in uh, this time zone. And we have Turkey here as the obvious outlier uh, with the expected policy rate cuts. And the main driver behind such an aggressive hiking from the macro standpoint is, of course, the domestic inflation picture. Uh, so, for example, when I look at the input and output prices in manufacturing and uh, services purchase managers uh, indices in October, it all kind of points to inflationary pressures uh, ticking up again and becoming uh, uh, more broad based. Uh, and of course, like we said, uh, some of this has to do with uh, global supply chain bottlenecks are the fact that global supply chain bottlenecks are taking time uh, to resolve. But in the meantime, uh, these issues are spilling into higher domestic prices of um, goods, uh, core goods. And we also, of course, has the kicker of the higher energy prices. And we all know that energy prices um, are having a much bigger weight in the emerging markets uh, inflation baskets. And then, of course, that has a connection to food prices through the fertilizer and transportation prices. So all this dynamic uh, is very hawkish for EM central banks and they uh, apparently cannot afford to sit out and uh, see through the spike. And then one last word on um, uh, on the drivers of, of this uh, relatively aggressive hiking cycle uh, is that you can say that from the growth angle, you don't have that much justification to actually um, hike policy rates. So when you see all these hikes coming, does that make you worried about growth? In these economies. Yes. So that's perfect, uh, perfect segue into uh, uh, what I wanted to say on growth. So from the domestic demand picture, emerging market central banks are probably still not happy where things stand. So, for example, when I look at the growth projections for next year in the emerging markets, it does look like that a fair chunk of emerging markets, uh, even the bigger ones, like, for example, Brazil, South Africa, Russia, and Mexico, they are all expected to grow by less compared to, let's say, the United States or even the European Union. And this is worrying because, um, because it goes against the uh, growth differential narrative that some people like to kind of use as a justification to be in emerging markets, why it's interesting to invest in emerging markets. Uh, so based on this 2022 growth projections, it does look like that uh, so-called DM-EM growth rate differential is not going to close uh, so fast in favor of um, uh, emerging markets, not at least with the kind of projections that we are penciling in right now. With this outlook, then, expectations of, of higher policy rates, some concerns on growth. Uh, what does this mean then for an investor that's looking at emerging markets? 
So I'm thinking like this. So what, what I didn't mention when I was talking about uh, EM growth not looking so great next year, there are actually exceptions in, in emerging markets, maybe even important exceptions. So, for example, when I look at growth in places like uh, Thailand or Vietnam or India, which has greatly disappointed this year, obviously because of the pandemic. And in Thailand, you have the added kicker of the lack of the Chinese tourists. I do actually expect these markets to recover uh, or continue recovering in case of India next year. Again, provided we don't have another COVID uh, paralyzing spike, I would say these are uh, at least three markets and they're all in Asia. And then we have the Eastern European economies uh, uh, in, uh, in the European time zone. So places like Poland, like Hungary, like Romania, like the Czech Republic that are still expected to uh, normalize to their pre-pandemic um, potential growth levels. Um, and these are uh, sometimes twice high as those that are uh, in the US. So for example, places like um, Czech Republic or Hungary or Poland, they're all expected to grow uh, next year in the range of between 3.5 and 5.5%. And then, of course, I have to mention the U.S. because U.S. is actually still expected to grow in a fairly chunky pace next year. So in that sense, um, I think you will need to follow the idiosyncratic uh, evolution of uh, growth in each single market to be able to say, okay, this is an interesting uh, um, uh, place that it could be potentially surprising on the upside. Of course, also those that I mentioned that uh, are expected not to deliver that much growth could potentially surprise on the upside. So for example, if the consensus economists expect almost a recession in Brazil and almost uh, uh, zero growth uh, next year in Chile, if we see some dramatic shifts in their either domestic regimes. Uh, so for example, in Chile, if we don't see the expected swing to populism and in fact away from this, which is actually what the recent polls are showing. So it's the conservative candidate that is leading. And in Brazil, if uh, Brazil actually moves away from de-anchoring market expectations on fiscal uh, policy, I think the Brazilian policy rates will at some point be high enough such as to attract investors into Brazilian, considering Brazilian uh, loan rates positions. Uh, of course, for that, we need to see inflation also normalizing um, in the region. Thank you very much, Marina. If I can summarize some of the things you've shared with us. Uh, first thing is that on the pandemic front, uh, contrary to what the impression a lot of people might have, uh, many EM countries have actually caught up and, and have comparable vaccination rates to what you see perhaps in Europe, uh, but that's not the case uh, for all of them. And several large countries in Asia, for example, still lagging on vaccination rates and also uh, facing geographic challenges. Uh, you mentioned Indonesia with a lot of islands. So uh, as in Europe and in the U.S., uh, not out of the woods and, and challenges ahead. We talked about supply chain bottlenecks, and interestingly, you pointed out that on the semiconductor side, and actually not only, uh, that a lot of these bottlenecks aren't necessarily coming out of emerging markets. That production is not necessarily so far behind, and that it, uh, in many cases, is more bottlenecks or distribution limitations uh, in the U.S., in particular U.S. ports, that may be driving some of these challenges that uh, countries and companies are facing. 
Nonetheless, we're very much aware of the rise in inflation, again, not only in developed markets, but probably even more so in emerging markets, uh, driven partly by energy prices and then a, a feed through from that into food prices. Uh, and then the response of the central banks to that rise in inflation. And you said you'd been surprised by how many central banks actually have been raising rates in emerging markets. Uh, but that, of course, raises its own concerns about the outlook for growth. And you ended by saying this would require, I guess, as it always does in emerging markets, differentiation between which markets are going to be able to handle the rise in rates uh, better than others. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you'd like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out our Investors Corner blog. For listeners who have devices with Alexa, you can ask Alexa to enable Investment Insights or search for Investment Insights on Amazon under the category Alexa Skills. My thanks again to Marina for sharing her insights. Thank you. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Alex Bernhardt, the head of research for our Sustainability Center, to learn some of the initial lessons from the COP26 conference. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.